Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This Week in Photography is brought to you by Drobo. Find out how you can get your own Drobo at D-R-O-B-O dot com slash twip. This week on the show, Photokina PR begins, Jill Greenberg plays rough, coffee in your Zoom lens, and Cannon pulls out the big guns, right here on This Week in Photography, number 48. Hey everybody, see we're back, see I'm back, I've taken over again, Scott... Scott wasn't paying attention. I grabbed onto the mic. Uh, this is Alex, and uh, we are uh, here in the Pixcore Studios. Of course, not all of us are here. Uh, Scott is in is coming to us from Gig Harbor. Is that correct, Scott? Well, first of all, Alex, who and who are we, and what is this about? And I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so many podcasts. What I've learned is not to actually say what podcast I'm on, uh, I because then I would have to know. Fit- isn't it? Yeah, I isn't think it this, is this week of photography. And Alex, and I, who and I know everyone out- forgot about me. Everyone forgot about me, but I've been in Africa. And, and, so you were uh, gone? What? <laughs> you were gone? <laughs> you, know, one, you know, one time when I was 12, I ran away from, I ran away for the weekend with a can of, uh, of, um, of soup and a knife. And I disappeared for two days. Two days. And when I came home, my mom just asked me if I had fed the horses. Wow. <laughs> and then I, and I thought she was just doing some kind of later as I got older I thought it was some kind of mind trick and I asked her about it and she said no I don't remember any time you th- you ran away. <laughs> so I see nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. That explains a lot. <laughs> so Scott's yes, coming I, in from uh, Gig I, Harbor. I am in Gig Harbor for the moment. Uh, for the moment, but I'm on my way to Grand Teton National oh, I'm Park. So jealous. I'm so jealous. Having just returned from the Katmai coast of Alaska. Um, by, and almost being eaten by a bear. Eh, not too much of the almost eaten by, but I, I, I did have a very, very angry kitty wake try to pick my eyes out. Did, you see, did you see the, the, the photos that have been circulating about, with the guy who was taking pictures of the polar bear? I did not. <laughs> Oh, I'll, we'll get him. We'll, we'll get a link on the on the show notes. The uh, there's a guy. There's a picture of a guy taking a picture of a polar bear. Then they show a guy on the opposite corner of a of a SUV and the and the polar bear on the other corner. And then they show the guy running around the the the, the um, SUV and the polar bear coming around behind him. And then they showed pictures from the hospital. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. nice! You go polar bear. <laughs> <It was> like, <laughs> from now on, leave door opened when Sick. shooting polar bear. Oh. You know, and make sure to get in I got, car. I got news for you. There is not a chance I would shoot a polar bear. I've shot all kinds of wildlife. Not a chance I'd shoot a polar bear from anywhere but the comfort of one of those buggies out there in uh, Canada. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, polar bears will just flat out eat you because they don't know what else to do with you. Right, right, yeah. So, so, uh, and then also here in New York, coming in from New York is uh, Steve Simon. Hey, Steve. Hey, guys. Good to be back. Uh, really enjoyed uh, your coverage of your trip, by the way, Scott. Uh, oh, from the videos you. to the "This is what I wear," "This is what I look like," "This is all my stuff." To it sounded like an incredible trip. It was, but I got to tell you, I keep you know. I hate to sound like one of those guys that said, yeah, but you had a really nice camera. The G9, the video stuff that came out of that thing, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't even trying. I just held the thing up, started talking, didn't really pay attention to what I was doing, and it was remarkable. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing, that you renaissance man, but the music, too. I was captivated by the music and the video, and I didn't actually realize till now that that was the G9 that you used to capture that. 
use a G9 and I wrote the music and, you know, my mom made me take two hours of music lessons for every two hours I played football when I was a kid. So, <laughs> un- unfortunately, I know how to play about nine instruments because I really love to play football. <laughs> I, see, I took p- I took piano lessons for three months. I can play "Color My World," but I never got any girls. You know, and I, that, that was the thing. So I I quit. I should have yeah. stuck with it. I can only yeah. play the didgeridoo. I can I can. Play and you play it band. well, though. You play it well. <laughs> I can attest to that, ladies I'm and gentlemen. He does he does have a didgeridoo in his office, and he does play it. I've heard it. <laughs> that should be awesome. the opening to Twip, Alex. Really. Oh. To think about it. if I had it right here, I'd play it for everyone. But I, it's not in the office at the moment. So, uh, but yeah, that would be. I have to think about that. Maybe, maybe for a, a new show, we'll use the ditch. The uh, also coming in from uh, uh, Hermosa Beach uh, is no. Right oh no, not anymore. See, after I finally get it figured out, and then he's not even <laughs> there anymore. So Ron is in not Seattle. Today. Seattle. I am in Seattle. Yep. You, you have moved I'm in. in the, I'm in the tallest building in Seattle, looking out at the world. The tallest building in Seattle. Yeah. Is that like, how, how, how many stories is the tallest building in Seattle? I don't three? know. I'm only up the 15th floor, so. Oh, I just, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm holding up the number three over here. <laughs> I don't really remember a lot of tall buildings. Lord I remember, of the flies. <laughs> Jeez. No, I'm just kidding. I don't even know. It's 70-something, isn't it? I don't know. Yeah, wow. it's, it's pretty tall. Oh, I know. Don't, hey, hey, Ron, there. don't worry. It's it, They had to evacuate it during 9-11 because they thought it was next. But don't let that bother you. <laughs> <laughs> no stress. Well, I've got a couple of windows, so hopefully I can see it coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also here in the studio, as you may have noticed, uh, Fred Johnson. Hey, Fred. Hello, hello. Back everybody. from a long... Uh, hey, you missed it. I was here were you for here? the last two episodes. <laughs> You it's just fine. see you you, you leave, leave the country for a couple weeks and just then everybody because, just changes just everything. Because you leave the country doesn't mean you know the United States stopped. presses the big pause button. Alex, come on. <laughs> life thought, goes on without life, Lindsay. I thought life. I thought everything went on pause every time I closed my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> it's your story. You're sticking to it. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, we've got. Uh, we are continuing. The Grand Linking Contest. Uh, Scott, can you give people a little bit of background on this? It's real simple. Uh, you put a link on your blog or your website, provided you're 18 years or older and a resident of the United States, and you're eligible to win about $1,000 worth of prizes that will be of interest to any photographer. And uh, this on October 30th, we're going to pick the lucky name. The way we do that, it's random. We just simply have the computer select something from our referral logs. So any link that shows up in the referral logs that's valid, uh, that meets our criteria, is the winner. And we just send you the stuff. It's about as easy as it can be. Excellent. So uh, make sure to link. Emails from uh, Canadians saying, hey, man, you know, we want to enter too. But we know, I know yeah. you can't. I, I get I get. Oh, you should. I don't just get email, Steve. I get oh. hate mail. Ooh. I get hate mail. I have people <laughs> wishing my death because I won't allow Canadians to participate. My re- my response is go see your government and tell them to remove all those ridiculous, uh, you know, legal things that you have to do to run a contest in Canada, and we'll be glad to oblige. My, well, my I, advice I think- would be to go ahead and link to us anyway, and then go figure out uh, why you can't win the prizes. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, start there. Uh, so now in the news, we have uh, Jill Greenberg is behind more drama. Now, if, uh, if people haven't remembered who Jill Greenberg is, she's the one that gets the little babies uh, really, really upset and then, uh, and then takes pictures of them. Um, 
She also takes pictures. Of it's not exactly stuff. like that, Alex. She <laughs> she takes their pictures and then makes it look like they were upset. She she calls herself the manipulator. She she they, no, but she they, did you, like no, they are upset when, those, when take they take pictures of those babies. Those babies are upset. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's but not, they are. They aren't as upset as she makes them look, is my point. Okay, okay. So they, 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 they look awful upset. How do you know that, Scott? I mean, they're crying. They're crying. I mean, it's... They're, it's because it's... I thought she would give them candy. I don't know if that... I don't I know if I really want that. I thought she would really give them candy that. and then take it away from them to see them cry. I just don't know if no. I really want that to be my claim for claim to fame. Anyway, so... Yeah, you know, I got to say, actually, she, she is a good photographer. She's, she's got some very interesting stuff. Now, I don't agree with what this most recent thing that she did, because I think it was unprofessional. But in terms of... Uh, so her- what, so what, what she did here is uh, she was on assignment uh, for The Atlantic. And, um, and she, she was there to photo- photograph uh, McCain, John McCain. And... Uh, and she, uh, while she was doing the, fo- the photography, she took a couple extra photos and, uh, and then has put them on her website with, um, with not very flattering comments. So what do we think of this? Steve, what do you think of this? Well, I mean, she has a history of being very political, but I think she definitely uh, crossed the line on this. In a, in a couple, for a couple of reasons. I mean, she she was she was contracted for you know by Atlantic uh, because of of her style and the way she shoots portraits. And as as Ron mentioned, I mean, she really is a, a, a very very good photographer. Has her own unique way of of lighting something. Um, but but unbeknownst to McCann and his people, she ended up taking a light and putting it low, sort of that Halloween lighting that's not very flattering. You know, that on its own, I mean, you know, any photographer with the, you know, having the opportunity to photograph someone uh, famous would probably want to take as much as they could. Um, it's just that, um, you know, even even sort of taking that low angle bad lighting thing, I mean, that's, you know, that's one thing. But what she did in terms of the manipulation, I mean, it, it's very, very, very harsh. And she put these things up immediately, I think even before the magazine magazine came out and if you if you sort of dig deep through the internet and see what she she did um, uh, I think that a lot of people feel she really did cross the line and it's going to make it a lot harder for editorial and quotation mark photographers to continue working because um, or you know to, to continue working freely uh, I think after this instance um, the publicists are going to be all over it and make sure that uh, this kind of thing doesn't really happen you're going to have to sign all kinds of disclosures and that kind of stuff you know, Steve, Steve didn't didn't her or did her agency drop her after this and you know and then yes. to continue on with that 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 from my standpoint that seems like a really good way to put a bullet in your career i mean is if would you know, would i hire her you know i'm i'm just thinking you know if 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 it was just a photo of me you know personally and i'm looking for someone to take a picture of me and knowing what she did to a presidential candidate and you know putting them online without their permission what's she going to do to the average guy so i'm just wondering you know, just going forward, is did she did she just devastate any chance she has of getting any further work from anyone noteworthy? No, yeah, I think- no, I don't think she did at all. I think she, uh, you know, you wouldn't hire her to maybe shoot a politician anymore, but there are plenty of people that love the fact that she's you know become a known name, that she's controversial, and she will she will get plenty more work from this. Yeah. Is there bad publicity? I mean, you can argue that. But I think, yeah, in terms of traditional editorial markets, which are not necessarily the markets that, you know, butter her bread because she's an advertising and, court, you know, advertising photographer where there's much, much more money. Right. Uh, 
and the publicity that she got from this, I mean, you know, love her or hate her, I think the majority of the publicity is, is negative towards her in terms of the commentary on the web. But certainly it's, it's put her back uh, on the map. And already she's, you know, she's a real known quantity in the photo world. Yeah, we were talking I, about this just, yesterday. And even with oh, the, and we're sitting here talking about it. Right, for the, with for the baby, minutes. with the crying baby photographs. You know, just we sat yesterday at work and we talked about those photographs, flipping through them for like 10 or 15 minutes. And just the fact, you know, at the end of it, we're like, you know, we're actually looking at her work where we wouldn't have been before. So, you know, it did it did, uh, you know, prompt us to start that dialogue. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have done what she did. Let me make that clear. But, you know, I think a lot of the the outrage about this is coming from people who are, you know, tend to vote Republican. And I've seen similar things done to Hillary Clinton. And in fact, the McCain campaign has been accused of doing some unflattering Photoshop work with some photographs of Democrats and the same outrage didn't follow from those same people. So I think there's a political aspect to this that's unavoidable and I'd love to be able to have this discussion without the political. I wish it was somebody else, some other scenario we could talk about so that the politics wouldn't end up being part of it but as a uh, as an editorial photographer i would never make this choice if i were an artistic photographer i considered myself an artist sometimes artist's job is to create controversy and in that case it would be a brilliant move but um it, it's it's we could spend two shows talking about just this thing and so i, I think we it, it's a very deep subject and it's hard to to uh, have a, an informed opinion on the basis of a few blog posts written by people that have a stake in this one way or the other. Also in the news, uh, we have, we're going to move on here. There's a rumor. I know we, uh, this is a rumor. We have to announce it as a rumor and put a little box around it. But there's a rumor that uh, Nikon is going to have a medium format. Now, Steve, you posted this. Uh, yeah, I did. This is like a crazy rumor. I don't know if I was dreaming, but I, I looked and, you know, it seems to be out there that Nikon is developing some sort of MX system to join their FX and uh, DX system. And they're, they're talking about uh, medium uh, format uh, camera perhaps uh, using the the lenses we've already got I don't know the physics behind that if that's even at all possible I also heard a rumor guys that there's going to be some sort of a switch that with a firmware upgrade and this is probably just crazy that you could actually the the 12 megapixel uh, d3 sensor will will suddenly be 24 megapixels I mean is that at all does anyone know if that's even you know that's not real. possible. I mean, not not, possible. not in real life. You can't change the sensor size. Uh, but you know, with hidden you, pixels within the sensor that can be activated the, firmware. The, I don't. The, the only thing that that would uh, the only reason that that would possibly be possible, and I and I just don't think it is, is that uh, if the reason Nikon is getting such great low light performance is that the chip is actually capturing at a much higher. Uh, um, pixel value and then subsampling back down, and that's how you're getting low grain. Oh, that, um, could, that makes sense, yeah. So, so it could be capturing 24 be megapixel and then giving it back to a 12 megapixel, um, and, that, and it's, the su- it's the sampling down that gets rid of a lot of the grain, because that's how you get rid of a lot of grain, is you oversample and then you bring it back down. Um, and so it could be doing that. Now, the, what you'd pay for, if, you, if, that, if that was the truth, and we don't know if it is, what you'd pay for is you w- you'd have very low uh, low light performance. You know, you'd be going back to what we had before, right. um, and, and and that could be how Nikon's doing it. That's all. That that's um, in many ways that makes more sense than larger photo sites. 
you know, within the chip. But if it, it, you know, from my standpoint, it would be cool if you had that, if you had the choice. To go back and forth. Just to flip it to yeah, so if you're high in, light in, sensitivity or, right. you know, you know, 24 megapixels. Or whatever. It would be cool to go back, be able to go back and forth. I have to say that, and we'll, we'll get into this as we look at some of the new cameras that are released, is that I'm still far more sensitive to... Uh, low light performance than I am to megapixels, but I, I can definitely see people who want to be make big prints and they'd love to have twenty one megapixels or twenty four megapixels. I'm happy with, uh, I'd be happy with ten if I could have, uh, you know, if I could shoot grainless sixty four hundred ISO. I'd be interested to hear what Scott Bourne says about that because I remember <laughs> a couple of well, a couple of months ago <laughs> it was all about more megapixels, uh, and now that you've Scott, you've gone through the uh, the frozen tundra and put that D three through its paces with twelve megapixels. What do you think? Well, I mean, keep in mind, a lot of that was hyperbole for the show, but... Um, <laughs> no! From you? <laughs> hey, I mean, it's called a, a show for a reason, and I am a character on the show, so let's get that, let's get that established right away. Um, I got to tell you, there are times when I do wish that I had... 15 megapixels, not 12. Uh, 21 seemed like too much a lot of the times. But I am, you know, I was taking pictures of grizzly bears uh, in the rain in overcast skies at ISO 1600 and even 3200 and getting printable stuff that I wouldn't have even, I wouldn't have even brought the camera out years ago uh, without Nikon's high ISO performance. So I, I am... Uh, I am a believer that that the high ISO is more important, but it really depends on who you work for. I mean, if you're doing, you know, wall portraits for wedding couples that have to be printed 50 inches wide, I'm sorry, you're going to want megapixels. Yeah, and, and you have the usually in that case you have the advantage of having very good exposure, right. and you're going to have lights and everything else. So I just think there's no one camera that's perfect for every job, and that's the reason why we no longer even try to answer the question here at Twipped, although we get it a hundred times a day via email. What camera should I buy? It, it, there's no one perfect camera. I mean, you know, I can see a situation coming when, you know, you might have to shoot Nikon and Canon because one might have something over the other. I do note that apparently at WPPI, which is coming up this spring, Nikon has got some big announcement planned that's going to blow off your socks. And I don't know that's if that's where some of the rumor is, Scott, coming from that yeah, ad in yeah. Rangefinder magazine. Yeah, you know, that, that makes sense. One of the other things about having that high resolution, I don't like to crop my images. I like to keep them all sort of the same shape. But when you have a, a big resolution file, you can sort of maintain the proportions of the frame and crop in and still get a high resolution result if you have more megapixels to, to start from. So, so, I mean, that's another advantage. You know, you have more photos within the photo that you can, you can you know, have high quality with. Exactly. So also in the news, uh, we am going to move on here. We have a SanDisk board re- rebuff Samsung. So Samsung was trying to buy uh, SanDisk, and uh, it, it's in the midst of some other negotiations that they're going under, and uh, so that's not going to happen. Adobe uh, releases uh, it is uh, it posts a release candidate for a Camera Raw 4.6. Uh, this includes the new uh, Fujifilm FinePix IS Pro, Nikon D700, D90, Coolpix. P6000, and a lot of other ones. Apple also uh, released an update to Aperture, uh, supporting many of the same cameras. Um, there is... Uh, okay, did you guys see the uh, Zoom Lens coffee mug? Yeah. I, I need that. one oh, of these. Uh-huh. I need one of these. We need to make one. 
Um, this is just a. We need to put a link to that on the show notes. We'll I mean, it's, just a, it's just a mock up, but it's pretty sweet it's so awesome. It's a zoom lens that, that has been, it's a concept. So I, I imagine it might even just be a concept of a photo, you know, a Photoshop concept. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's a zoom lens with a, that they hollowed out and to make it a coffee, coffee mug. And, uh, and I have to say, as soon as I saw it, I was like, that would be perfect on my desk. So, I, um, I, I want to say that I received emails from our audience in the hundreds, no hyperbole involved, about this coffee mug thing. So whoever's behind this, that's a pretty big hint that you can sell yeah. just a bunch of these if you made them. Yeah, and it might be us if they don't get around to it soon. Uh, let's, yeah, let's do it. Let's do we it. May, we may manufacture the Twip version and have the most popular selling cup in history. But this, <laughs> this particular mug is made from a real lens, though, right? So that that put your Looks materials like cost it, you know. Yeah, but you could. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think actually, I, looking at mug. looking at this one, I think this one was created by Photoshop. So uh, yeah. yeah, that's my guess. Your materials cost Fred are irrelevant. It's your selling price that matters in comparison How to true. your materials. Exactly. Cost. One million dollars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, there's some people out there. You know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, so also uh, in the news, um, <laughs> a man hacks his DS, his Nintendo DS to control his Nikon. Uh, or I'm sorry, not his Nikon, but his Canon 5D. Now, of course, okay, now, have- wait, wait, where does he get the spare time? Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. That's all I have to say. And here's the, I, the, the thing that I hope that someone from Apple is listening to uh, related to this is, um, I mean, it look, the interface looks great. Uh, one of the things we know about Canon, one of the big advantages of shooting Canon is that the SDK is something that is uh, generally available, uh, much unlike uh, Nikon, not that I'm bitter or anything. Um, and uh, and so you can control, you know, you can build this kind of software uh, for a Canon in a way that you couldn't do for Nikon. Um, and uh, uh, so what he's done is he hacked his his Nintendo uh, to be able, and now has a nice little interface, and he can uh, control the. Uh, um, uh, he can do basically high dynamic range uh, intervals, which is really one of the big reasons you want a controller. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a beautiful interface. What I'd love to see is something like this for the iPhone. Uh, the problem with it is, of course, is iPhone won't let you tether anything with with the software with the current SDK. But uh, but it's a pretty slick idea, and we'll put that in the show notes, of course. Um, uh, but definitely worth checking out. Um, there are uh, you know Smug Mug uh, private picks are made public. Uh, this this came in. All of these are coming, or a lot of these are coming in from Twip Ideas. Uh, just a quick reminder that if you're doing, a, uh, if you tag stuff on Delicious at Twip Ideas, um, with Twip Ideas, we we get to see it. Um, so um, this is uh, turned into a little bit of a drama. Uh, Scott, do you have any information about this? Uh, not this particular one. I mean, it's 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 happening to a lot of these sites. You put your photos up there, and you think they're private. Turns out they're not. Uh, if you're an iPhoto user and you haven't turned off uh, certain things in your preferences, you'll be sharing your entire iPhoto library with everybody that's nearby you if you're connected to the Internet. There are many different ways for these things to happen. That's why you need to focus on working with uh, you know somebody online who's really going to protect your images. I have to admit, when I put stuff up online, I assume everyone can see it. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't have this this thing like, oh, I'm putting it up and I'm gonna, I'm gonna click it on private and expect it not to be, you know, everywhere. So with with this particular issue, Alex, I didn't read through this article yet, but is it just the ones that were tagged with private that weren't supposed to show up, or were these passworded galleries that were showing up? Uh, I, if it's know, the passworded galleries, I'm in trouble. 
<laughs> hey, you if you're listening and you've got Fred's password, call me. Make a deal. I, th- I believe <laughs> um, it is. Uh, it it does look like it had to be passworded. I mean, if if it was passworded, it was fine. Okay. If it was just set to private, it was. Uh, it was. <laughs> Fred and Fred's Fred's about to go up and take down a lot of here all of a sudden. <laughs> Fred's sweating up over here. I, I'm not sure what kind of pictures he's taken for the private library. Those but, internets uh, will be the death of me. Well, well, you know, this is this is the new thing. I mean. A surprising number of our audience, photographers with a stake in this issue, seem to think that if you put your images online, it's okay that people steal them. I've had that said to me many times in email and comments left on the blog when these issues get discussed. That in mind, I have simply decided that I'm not going to put any photographs of value uh, in certain places. Like on Flickr, I'll post photos, but I'm only posting photos that I don't care if somebody steals. I'm not putting stuff up there that I intend to sell. And, uh, you know, that's that's the way I'm advising people. Don't put anything up there that you want to sell uh, unless it's heavily protected. Now, I do have my portfolio on Fotrade because at Fotrade, they're, they're taking extra steps to actually protect the photographs. But other than that, I won't do it. I mean, I, I, I'll do it if I don't care if people have it. But, you know, given the fact that there seems to be, even from photographers, the opinion that it's okay to, to steal photography once it's online, I, I you know, I think we have to all be aware of that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, in on the Flickr side of things, the majority, and I don't, I don't know what their their demographic breakdown is, but at least on the Flickr side, it's mostly consumers and amateurs that are sharing photos. I know there's a lot of pros there as well, but the like from my standpoint, the spirit of Flickr is the whole community aspect and, hey, look at the shot of my, you know, that I did at this at this this outing I went to, what do you guys think? Kind of thing, rather yeah. than, hey, I'm going to sell this eventually and don't steal it. But Fred, isn't it possible that I could have that whole conversation you just recorded there, uh, and still expect that I have the right to control the distribution of the image? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and you're right. I think, I think till to date, you know, until some of the new services like Fotrade or whatever that are that are showing up that are paying specific and explicit attention to those. You know, people hadn't really thought about it. You know, it's, if I throw yeah. it up on Flickr, then it's probably going to be pretty safe, you know. But uh, now we're finding out that's not really the case. <laughs> and I think a lot of this isn't even overt uh, theft, you know. I think the problem is anything that's up on Flickr can be found via search engines, and people don't even bother looking where it came from. They don't yeah. check the licensing on it. It propagates. It, you know, bounces around the web. So I think Scott's right. You know, if you don't want it to be grabbed then just don't put it up there that's really the only way you can prevent it i mean the problem is of course if you are trying to get your name out there you're trying to uh, get exposure and you know at some point you want clients to see your work you got to put it somewhere mm-hmm. so it's a tough trade-off yeah it's it's i gotta tell you it disturbs me greatly that even photographers seem to think this is okay because they're making they're taking positions that are against their own interests and um, for some reason, the conversation always morphs into DRM and music, and I'm like, what's that got to do with me putting a photo on Flickr? They're not related. It's not the same. And and um, in, in any event, I, I think that you know, if you put some private photos any place online and they're the kind that could hurt somebody, rethink it because you know. 
particularly if it's something like with the wife or the girlfriend or something like that, I mean, somebody may find it and you could actually, you know, really hurt somebody. You could hurt their career. You could, you could hurt them emotionally. Um, you know, I, I will say, Scott, I mean, do you really think that reputable outlets that are actually paying for this stuff are, are stealing things? I mean, I, you know, the, the issue that always Would you comes like up me to give you a link with 10 cases of very reputable companies you know that have paid money in court because they did, in fact, steal images? I mean, and, all, I mean, no, I, I don't know one way or the other. So, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's huge. The theft problem is huge. Now, sometimes it's not it's not overt. Sometimes it's because somebody sees an image on Flickr, for instance. They lift it, then they sell it to somebody yeah. else, representing that it's their image. The company that buys it does so in good faith. That's happened a lot more. But yeah, I mean, some of these. Well, there. You know, I I really don't want to get involved in being sued by the various lawyers from all these magazines. But do some research. Uh, You know, some stuff recently happened at Runner's World. People might want to read about. Um, You know, to look into this on your own and come up to your own conclusions. But. The, the they they will take an image. Some of these magazines will take an image. Then if they get caught, they'll say, "Oh, well, we'll offer you our standard pay rate, which is always lower than my standard day rate." And um, my response to those is, "No. What you'll do is you'll pay me that plus twenty five thousand dollars for each occurrence because my lawyer is about to sue you in U.S. federal court." Yeah, it's another and, it's another sort of uh, uh, reason that if you've got serious images that you want to sell that you think are saleable to copyright, send them to the copyright office. And once you've done that, if you yeah. have an infringement, then you can get some money. Yeah, you have to register. You have to register them. That's the technical term, Steve. They're copyrighted yeah. when you make them. They're registered yeah, when you send that's them. That's what in. I meant. That's what I meant. Yeah, and if you don't register them within ninety days of publication, bada bing, you're not going to recover money damages in federal court. And moving on. Uh, (laughs) That's going to generate a lot of email. Yeah, exactly. We'll get a lot of excitement (laughs) out of that one. And uh, so um, uh, site of the week is a photo editor. Now, who? who, uh, I picked this one. You picked this one? Can you give us a little information? Yeah, I I think this is really important to somebody that's trying to get published. Um, This guy is a photo editor. So if he was a photo editor. Yeah, sorry, thanks for the correction, yeah. He's the former, uh, he's actually a listener to the show, I think. I'm pretty sure I've got an email from him. Um, He's a former photo editor at Men's Journal and Outside Magazine. And, you know, we see a lot of conversation in the forums about, well, editors won't do this or editors won't do that. It's almost from, always from people that don't really know. Here's a guy that knows. So I thought if you want to see what a photo editor, and that's just one guy's opinion, and obviously every photo editor is different. I mean, Steve, you've probably dealt with 10 photo editors that said one thing and 10 that said another. But it's nevertheless a starting point to find out what a real photo editor would, would say about certain concepts. And yeah. uh, I was just going to say that what's great about his site is that you know, he doesn't – you know, he's like uh, he's like you, Scott. He doesn't pull any punches. He says it like it is, and and you know, he says it from a foundation of experience in the business. He knows a lot of the photographers, and he puts up stuff that you know he finds interesting, both photography and situations that are going on. So it it's become a bit of a go-to site. You'll see there's there's quite a lot of uh, comments to the things that he posts. So it, it's worth if you're interested in uh, you know working more professionally. If you're not now, um, it's it's a good site to to get. Some insight into the business. Definitely, we should actually try to get that guy, get him on um, 
Yeah, he'd be a wonderful yeah. guest, I think. Yeah, we should, um, we should uh, figure and, that. And out. by the way, we you know we're we're open to your suggestions in the audience for side of the week. So send them to me at twipphoto at gmail dot com. And and uh, last week's site was actually recommended by one of our listeners. Excellent. And just just so you just so you know, one of his uh, his taglines or one of his posts was Jill Jill Greenberg is not afraid to dump all her clients at once. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was the, that was the headline. <laughs> so, uh, so we have a uh, the current uh, Flickr challenge. Uh, our current challenge is, is uh, decay. Photo assignment. Photo assignment. Photo assignment. Not a challenge. It's a photo assignment. Oh, and it's not Flickr. It's not Flickr. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're so, half right on something. So Alex. I leave. <laughs> I leave the country, and everything changes, and um, and it's not updated in our notes, and so um, <laughs> so I'm just well, I'm just following along, and I'm just trying to do my job, and it, 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 it's just not happening. So it's uh, it's not it's no longer it's a photo assignment for Fotrade. Is that correct? It's yeah. We we moved it to Fotrade, Alex, because people were complaining that they wanted to have a vote. Okay. So on Fotrade, you can vote. Excellent. And so, um, in fact, uh, the rules are that um, everybody gets a vote, but um, the judges ultimately decide. But this particular uh, week, we decided with the vote. And the winner was um, of a typewriter taken by Sean Galbraith, I believe is his name. And uh, you can see that. It's awesome. Um, by going to the photo assignment decay thing on Fotrade, clicking on this contest is over, and you see the winner. It makes and, me think of the naked lunch. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's really quite a compelling photograph. Um, there were lots of other ones. We're not going to really announce any more runner-ups. The runner-ups will be um, implied by simply looking at the most votes. You can look at what was most voted for in the contest and assume that those that were close, in this case, it's a picture of a Pennsylvania uh, penitentiary, uh, those would be the runners-up. But the the typewriter picture uh, is very compelling, and it definitely has decayed. <laughs> and the, the thing that actually made it for me and helped me, and I know this is going to sound weird, and I hate that this is the way it is, but it's the way it was when I was entering contests, you give credit for things like captions, right? I mean... Steve, you found that to be true? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, some, you know, a good caption, a, a yeah. good caption will kind of enhance and maybe have you kind of add an extra layer to what it is you're looking at. If it sort of just states the obvious, then it's not going to help you. But, you know, if there's if there's information that could make you look at the image maybe a little bit differently, uh, definitely good captions could enhance the photo for sure. And and here Sean came up with the title Ghost Writer. So we, right. he could have just put old typewriter, in which case I would have went, eh. mm-hmm. but ghostwriter tells the story. I mean, you can look at this picture and see yourself maybe facing a ghost who's doing some typing. Yeah. Uh, so uh, anyway, you're the, you're the winner, uh, Sean. We'll send you your prize. And uh, time to talk about our next contest or challenge. And um, I, I just thought, you know, we get so much response to anything we do that's gear-related, and we're talking about gear and Photokina for the next two weeks. I thought that would be the topic, gear. 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 So you can interpret that any way you want. As usual, the contest will run for two weeks. I, I thought of a lot of bad things. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I was trying to talk past what was coming. And it, <laughs> Alex and I are giggling. In the yeah, we were like, <laughs> oh, dear. Please remember that this is a kid-friendly site. You know, I just came back from Amsterdam. Oh, so yes, anyway. And there were three X's on your hotel, I heard. <laughs> I'm uh, trying to figure out what the three X's for. Evidently, it's the it is the you know the logo of Amsterdam, mark of the king, the mark of the yeah That's of Amsterdam. So it's like you see king, these triple X everywhere, and you're like, really? How fitting? I thought, so, yeah. I thought three X's meant moonshine. <laughs> so this is this is, a, this is not a triple X contest. It will be uh, by the time you hear this show, it will be up and running on Fotrade. There'll be a link on the blog that takes you in. Uh, Fotrade is out of beta, by the way, so you no, no, no longer need the special link to become a member, and then you can join contests as you like. It's absolutely free, as is the contest, as is our show, and uh, we will award a prize. It's an undetermined prize, which is our usual approach. Uh, it might be something really like expensive or not, but the point is, go out and shoot. That's the point. So, so uh, here is the assignment. And our poll results: uh, we had uh, the, the question was, how is your, how old is your primary camera, and how long have you owned it? Less than a month, four point eight percent. Less than six months, twenty five point nine percent. Less than a year. 23.9%, less than two years, uh, 20.4%, and two years or older, 25.1%. Uh, it's so an it's interesting set of results there. Well, it, it, I find it interesting that uh, you either have a very, new, very, very new camera or a very old one in some ways. Those are the, the two top numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I guess I fit into the two years or older. Mine's very long in the tooth. I've had this 20D that has been... In a couple uh, continents now, and it's kind of showing its wear and tear. Uh, you should have taken a picture of that for last week's theme, decay. <laughs> I know exactly, exactly. <laughs> it, it looks like it. it. It looks pretty decayed. So it's. Uh, How uh, do you manage not to lose that camera, Alex? That's it's what big. I it's know. bigger. It's 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 oh, harder it's to lose. You know, my little my little G nine. It was easier. It fit in a pocket. And a pocket when the G ten was announced. When the G10 was announced, we got lots of email from people saying, can I have Alex's itinerary? <laughs> <laughs> I still have to do – I'm basically – before I buy another uh, camera – I haven't had a, po- a pocket one since I lost my G9. And I, I really want to do some high ISO tests between that and the Lumix and the – a couple. I'm going to take a couple cameras into the office here in the next couple weeks. And uh, we'll put that up, of course. Uh, we'll shoot it when we uh, – or we'll post it once we uh, do some of the tests. But I want to see – you know which ones are That's giving me the exactly best. Exactly what I want to see. Yeah, because you know, I, I mean, should, we should talk about. I mean, the, the the G10 was announced. I'm actually kind of unimpressed relative to some of the other stuff that's out there. I don't. I don't think it's the one I would buy. I think I would actually buy the Panasonic. But again, I'd like to see some pictures. Yeah, is I, anybody, I want to be able to compare. Has anybody touched the Panasonic? It's just starting to ship now, so it is out there and available. Um, so you if know, you're listening and you work for Panasonic, um, we need one of those <laughs> yeah. to test. Of course. Yeah. If you want to talk to hundreds of thousands of photographers and have us mention your camera, send us one. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, this brings us, of course. Here's how we'll test it. It's a long-term test. Until the next version comes out. (laughs) (laughs) So so now this brings us, of course, to uh, this is uh, Photokina Week 1. Photokina is not out here yet. One quick thing, Alex. You forgot to mention the new poll. A new poll. New poll. Sorry. What is your favorite part of the country to shoot in? There you go. Thank you. I, my favorite part is Zimbabwe. Yeah, well, it, the country we're referring to the is country. the United States. <laughs> <laughs> this country, right? You're going to get yeah, more what is the country? Oh, you know, we no, have you can't say the that. It's, it's, yeah, it's an international thing. So it's your yeah. country. What's your favorite part? I've of met your more country? people from Germany at Zion National Park than I've met Americans. 
Well, America is quite the place to go uh, vacationing at the moment because our dollar is uh, worthless. It's worth about eight cents, isn't it? It's like it's like ten cents more than a Zimbabwe dollar. So hey, uh, my dollar goes far on my staycations in my backyard. And your staycations? <laughs> <laughs> Fred Fred was thinking of going to the beach, and then he just got a got a couple tons of sand and put up a little uh, a couple tons. Wow, you're living at large. Right? Yeah, a couple you know, of buckets. It's, it's sand. It's sand. Just just, enough for my heels. <laughs> <laughs> and as long as you take, as long as you have a fast fifty with a really short depth of field, and, and, you know, you put your feet up there, it'll, it'll just feel just doesn't like doesn't matter it where you are. As long as you have music, you can close your eyes and imagine where you know it doesn't matter. <laughs> Depressing me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, now we're now we're into Photokina week one. Now Photokina, of course, is next week, but the announcements are coming fast and furious. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, a, a, a lot of good ones, um, Leica. Uh, has um, announced a new um, uh, announces a new rangefinder. Uh, there's new prime lenses uh, and the world's fastest aspherical lens. Um, Casio announces the the Exelum EXFH. Why can't they just think of some cool names here? Uh, anyway, so EXFH twenty high speed camera. So this is a lot like the EXF one, except it's half the price or nearly half the price. Um, uh, has, has have people seen the samples from the EXF one? Um, I, no, I handled the EXF one at PMA and did some test shots with it. So did you do did you do the test shots at a thousand frames per second? Um, that, that, now are you talking about the FH twenty or the F one? Well, the EXF one, of course, did twelve hundred frames a second. It was like yeah, a post long postage stamp, but it was twelve hundred right. frames a second. And I have to admit, it was it looked like a lot of fun, but I think a lot of people were left. The way I was with that looks really cool. I'm right. not sure if I'm going to pay 9.99 for that. Yeah. Um, this new version, uh, it doesn't go, go quite as fast. 40 frames a second at full resolution, um, and a thousand frames per second uh, at a smaller resolution, much smaller resolution. And uh, it is, um, but it's, I think it's 5.99. I believe is the is the price. Uh, yeah, I think they didn't sell a lot at the 9.99. But I did play with the EXF one at PMA and thought it was cool, but it wasn't something I would buy. Yeah, it's in this kind of odd um, space where it's not really an SLR and it's not really a, a pocket camera. Um, but as I said, the being able to shoot uh, basically, uh, what's cool about being able to shoot forty frames at full resolution at seven or at seven megapixels, sorry, is that you know if, some, if you're shooting your kids playing sports or or something like that, you pull the trigger, you know, you get forty in in a second to figure out which ones are the ones you want to keep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also for the hobbyist, uh, being able to capture a thousand frames a second or four hundred twenty frames a second or two hundred ten frames a second. I mean, uh, slow motion oftentimes is just mesmerizing. I'd, I'd be interested to know what the what the right speed to the card of that is because you know, that's a lot of data to be pumping down to that card. You like you I think it's buffering. The I, think, I think the limit is it's bu- it's, it's it has its own internal RAM that's buffering. Yeah, and that's a lot of what's what's causing the frame the size of the image being much smaller when you capture a thousand frames a second. Mm-hmm. But it's got a buffer. I don't know what the buffer is. I bet you it's probably like. 32 megs or or maybe even more so i wonder, I wonder how many how many shots megs. you can get that are 40 frames a second you know so how yeah many i think it's like a second or two like, i think it's like a second aaron aaron's not here because didn't he do some tests with this camera he did uh, we'll, we'll get him we'll, we'll oh, make sure that we, camera yeah that was a slow motion test that aaron did he yeah. did it with the exf1 and uh it's you know i i, I think that uh we're we're in a mode where we're going to end up with a lot more cameras that are like this down the road, where you, you just assume that you can shoot at least some sort of slow motion. Uh, with can, you, them. can you guys uh, predict the future? Do you think that still photography, just by itself, 
will not kind of exist in these cameras like five years down the road? Or will there always be just dedicated stills? Yeah, I think I think we're really moving to a point where this all merges together. I mean, I, I, what I couldn't believe is when you look at the Canon. Okay, so this is another big news item here. The Canon uh, 5D Mark II, 21 megapixels. But one of the things that's really interesting about it is that it shoots 1080p movies with an audio in with an audio in yeah. so you could put you could take a little beach tech box and pop it onto the bottom and have xlr mics mm-hmm. that was <laughs> the the issue with the three and a half no inch audio. mini plug in alex yeah yeah so it's a standard headphone jack um that you i mean 3.5 millimeter yeah, 3.5 millimeter so it's just a standard headphone jack that you could pop into the side of your cannon which means that you could literally put with one extra little box you could have xlr high-end audio going into your cannon uh, still camera. And, and as far as shooting, you know, I, I just got back from Europe and one of the things that we were doing is we were shooting all these interviews of different um, uh, companies that, you know, are doing great things with Flash and, and everything else. And so uh, we were doing these interviews and, and of course what I did is I backed up as far as I could. I zoomed in and tried to get as good, as, as short a depth of field as I can with a EX1 which is what we, what we were using on the road. Um, but it has a smaller frame, uh, a full size frame which is what you're getting with this um, with this uh, 5D Mark II, uh, good audio, and uh, uh, and a and a fast lens, and you could shoot incredible interviews with your still camera. It's up to 12 minutes at a time, uh, and, and so I, I could I could totally see myself doing little snippets uh, with this. And I have to admit, I was literally. Um, I had a big check come in, and I was literally getting ready to buy a D700, and I said, mm, "Now I need to do some tests." You know, this this pulled me away from the cliff. You know, I was like, I was like, I was ready to go, and and I and I was like, because I I love the idea of being able to only carry one camera around, not have to carry a video camera around to capture stuff, and have one SLR that would also shoot uh, uh, great images. Yeah, I mean, still photographers that have to do multimedia, like newspaper guys now that are more right. into this. Yeah. And- that, that camera is perfect. You know, the D90 is sort of a, a, a kind of a lower end uh, camera. It's still a lot less money, but um, I. I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of this feature. I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, the, the, I think the Achilles heel of the D90 is it's it's approaching video in a still camera from the point-and-shoot standpoint, like right. the G9, where there's a mic inside the camera, and they assume that you're going to be close enough, or they're just going, they're just assuming that you audio is secondary, you really don't need it because you're shooting scenics and that sort of thing. But yeah, well, I think, keep in mind that D90 is a lot cheaper. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, true. But I was talking to I was talking to uh, uh, someone here that works in the office here uh, today about or yesterday about the about the five D because he's looking at what kind of handy camera he wants to get a new SLR and he wants to get a new video camera to shoot you know his daughter uh, who's you know about the same age as, as Malachi and the idea of being able to shoot the kind of images that I'm shooting with uh, uh, Malachi with a fast fifty or whatever but have them moving. Yeah. Oh. You know, I was just, you know, I, I was, you know, I was kind of like for a home video camera, because usually when you're shooting that stuff, you're not shooting 20 minutes at a time or 30 minutes at a time. You're right. shooting little one or two minute clips. And by the way, if you're listening and you're a parent, if you're not shooting one or two minute clips, you should be. You have a closet full of <laughs> stuff that you're never going to look at exactly. again, right? <laughs> like, like pick, pick something interesting and then shoot it and then I mean, stop. Well, if you're shooting for archival purposes. Right. Like, just want to document the second birthday and it's going in the show. But, but shoot little clips. You, know, don't, you don't need to shoot big ones. Anyway, so I think that um, – now the one caveat, and this is something that – I think Canon just – something that Nikon got right with the D90 and Canon uh, missed, the, missed the mark – is that there, these 1080p movies are being shot in 30p and not 24p. 
uh, and a lot of people have, you know, there's been a lot of online um, uh, consternation about that. Um, the main thing is, is that is when you think of progressive full frame images, most people think of 24. Um, there's also, this is a little caveat, is there's no good way to get from 30p to 30i. So if you wanted to get out to broadcast or if you wanted to do that, it's a very, there's no good way to do that. Uh, in the same way with 24, we have a very established pipeline of a of a pull down to get from one to the other or pull up um, uh, to to get to those um, those pieces. And so hopefully... Uh, you know, I mean, 24p is just kind of this magical number that most of us are used to looking at at progressive uh, images. Well, I think I think we may be we may be a little biased coming from the you know doing film work or something like that. I agree that it's disappointing that it doesn't shoot and not just 24p, but you know shoot you know real 2997 and all that. I'm I'm very hopeful that it's a there's a firmware upgrade that can do that though because I mean the nice the nice thing with starting with 30 is that you you've done the work to get the bandwidth, you got the pipeline working. So dropping down is going to be a lot easier than trying to go up. Yeah, I don't think anybody should be buying any of these cameras because they have video in them. I think that's Absolutely. sort of like buying a G9 as a video camera, although that might actually be justified. But I think that what we're seeing here is a trend to the future to get to Steve's question. I don't know that it's five years, but I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years there was no such thing as a still camera or a video camera. There was just a camera, and yep. it did did both, um, and and there is a little resistance. I noticed on our blog when I published the press releases from Canon about this. People are like, "Well, who needs video?" Mm. Uh, I'm assuming those are people that never thought about shooting well, video. The, the other thing to point out, though, is that people spend a lot of money on things like the Red Rocks Micro, um, which is takes their little video camera and they and it gives it a full frame depth of field look. Um, mm-hmm. And so the thing is, is that is that I really see this once again as a way if I want to do little interviews, uh, the look I'm going to get out of this camera uh, sitting on a tripod with a nice short depth of field for doing uh, for highlighting, um, uh, you know, people for interviews or or or, um, you know, artsy looking video is going to be much higher quality than than a video camera anywhere well, in the vicinity of this price range. I agree. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, I looked at the video when they announced the D90. Right. And I looked at them doing those, you know, uh, push-pull focus moves where they're, you know, moving the right. foreground and the background out of focus. And I was like, yeah, you don't get that with your $900 camcorder. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, and, and if you spent $3,000, this is a $2,699 body uh, for the, Mark, the, the 5D Mark II. If you spend $2,600 on a video camera, you're not going to get anything that looks like that. You know, yep, and, and that's the and that's I think the big at least for now. Uh, when the red comes out, when the red scarlet comes out next year, it might change some of that. Uh, but right now, uh, being able to get this great uh, still image uh, that we would expect from Canon, and then also being able to get video is a pretty exciting uh, piece. And I do think that we're going to see it in every camera, uh, probably in the next five years. I think only the purists will have not have video. Um, uh, as we, I mean, and and, and and we're talking about really uh, a niche market. It's kind of like well, just you know, film. just looking at what I was able to do in Alaska with the G nine, it really got me thinking about all this because I, I found myself thinking about Bill Frakes, who uh, is the Sports Illustrated photographer. He's kind of like the number one guy there at Sports Illustrated, and I've seen him speak recently. In fact, related to Aperture down at the Apple campus, and he was talking about how at SI they're more and more telling him to shoot video and stills, even though he's a well-known still photographer, 
because these multimedia presentations on the web are, are generating more traffic for them than the printed page that they put out on the newsstand. So th- this is a very important area. And I was able to convey things, for instance, shooting video at the G9 that you just really couldn't get a, a feeling for in a still. And, and vice versa, I think sometimes a still does something for you that a video can't because a still captures a moment in time that's maybe too fast to notice you know, when it's really moving. So they both have their place. But I, I do think this is one of those really fascinating areas that, you know, we're lucky to be around while this is going on. I think five years from now, it'll be completely different. Like, like we said, it, it, it's, it'll be stunning how good the video is five years from now. Yeah, just one other point that I, I years ago I saw Andy Warhol's um, uh, an exhibition, and what he did back in the '60s was he took a Super 8 camera and he took kind of a stationary um, portrait of someone, and and he let the film run out, so like 10, 15 minutes. And when you look at these, the way they were displayed in a museum, you see these sort of still images. And then if you look closer, you see people blinking. And it's kind of the, the moving long image, as we're, we're now hearing that that's uh, the, the phrase being coined. Flickr now is showing video. I mean, it really is morphing into an interesting area where, you know, still photographers, I think, are going to be doing more of these kinds of long photo experiments. And I think that, I think that the good news also for still photographers is you really uh, take most of the skills that you already have around framing uh, setting up your shot, lighting your shot, all those things you know, still come into play and they play out pretty much the same way that they would play out um, in stills and video. Uh, if you're really good at composing a great shot in a still, uh, generally a video is just a moving version of that. And so I think this is going to be much more natural than a lot of photographers think. Fred? Yeah, and I think, I think you know, one genre where this is really suited for is weddings. Right, so the wedding photographers that you know when it when it because they're always looking looking for new ways to add different things to the lineup that they offer their customers, and this is just another thing that they can do. You know, having a camera that can also allow them to add that motion of video, you know, or the, add that dimension of motion to their uh, to their. Of course, wedding videographers huge. are going to go crazy. Yeah, everybody's going to have to yep. evolve, Alex. Uh, it's a different skill set. <laughs> <laughs> Who's better suited, Alex, the video guy or the still guy for this new world we're entering? Oh, I think the still. Still, a, a person with still background, I think. Uh, I mean, I know that uh, many get hate mail. You know, uh, you know, no, but I, mean, I, I think that address your email to Alex. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that uh, when you look at this, I mean, one of the things that has always, uh, you know, I learned to frame and shoot and develop when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old with a, you know, K1000 or whatever with my uncle. And the skills that I learned at that point in time, uh, you know, have have uh, definitely uh, served me. Uh, through animation, through video, through all those other things. Um, you know, some of the best videographers are really people who are going to, they're going to turn the camera on and they're not doing a lot with the camera. They're allowing a great scene to evolve in front of them, you know, and they move and the camera becomes as little of a distraction as possible. What usually happens with videographers who who are not as skilled is a lot of times the camera's going everywhere and that's the problem we have with most home videos is, yeah. the, is people are constantly moving the camera rather than allowing things to progress in front of them. You know where, you know where videographers will have a leg up on still photographers though? Software. Because now still photographers are going to learn, to learn to Final Cut and Premiere yeah. and all this stuff, you know, and, or After oh my Effects. Gosh. You know, now you have to learn that stuff, too. It's not all about just yeah. developing no, no, a no. raw image. Here's, what, here's all you need to learn. iMovie HD, the old version. I do all my stuff in that. And it looks great. All right. I like 08. 
So, uh, so anyway, uh, <laughs> we'll, le- we'll leave it at that. <laughs> also being released uh, is uh, the Canon SD990IS and SD880IS. Uh, so this is a 14 megapixel and 10 megapixel, respectively. Um, and uh, so these are using they're all all of these new Canons are using the new Digic 4 processor, which evidently makes faster image processing. The rumor is they also uh, it reduces some of the grain. Uh, that is that will remain to be and it, seen. And if that rumor isn't true, then these cameras are not going to be anywhere near the rival to Nikon. Everyone's thinking they are. Right. Yeah. These. Well, these are the little yeah, the little point and shoots. The interesting yeah. thing about one of these is it's actually the you know it's a very very small point and shoot that has manual controls on it. And I think that's a first. Right. So yeah. Actually, actually but that, what I'm saying is actually what I meant to say, Ron, is the Digic Four processor is is in the point and shoots as well as in the DSLRs. And right. I was yeah. talk, and I was talking about Alex said that you know they're supposed to reduce grain. My point being is these sensors are all getting more. And more resolution, and the sensors aren't getting any larger. Physics is physics. That means there should be more noise. Well, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the, my concern with you know just say coming out with a new you know a new digit processor is: are they just doing something in firmware that we could do in software that is effectively going to be removing grain at the expense of detail anyway? Yeah. Are they applying? Are they implying basically you know something like uh, Noise Ninja in advance? Yeah. Noise reduction. Yeah. 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 In which case, I don't want it. I don't want it either because I'd like to make those decisions. Yeah, exactly. I don't want the camera to. But, I mean, in all fairness, I see all this conversation online about, oh, this sucks. Oh, this is great. Well, nobody knows. You haven't seen the camera yet. You haven't taken a picture. And that's really it. I mean, you know, the the big question that we haven't asked that I'm sure everybody's asking and we can't answer right now is, you know, is the new 5D uh, with its extended ISO shooting modes comparable to the high-end Nikons now? And, And, you know. Don't know yet, but that's probably the oh. biggest question right now. We yeah. want to find out. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that's well, and 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 I'm hoping to get one in because I know that for, if the high ISO performance is not there, you know, I'm still going to be go- buying an Nikon, no matter how much I love the idea of having movies, you know, on my on my phone. I, I mean, on my on my phone on my uh, camera, mm-hmm. uh, I. I definitely uh, need to have that high ISO performance. And I think that – I really think that a lot of these camera companies are going down – I mean Canon I think is really missing the boat by saying, OK, we've got a 10 megapixel. We've got a 14 megapixel. They're still on this this uh, megapixel run uh, where I would be very happy. As a point and shoot, I would be extremely happy. I think if people saw a 6 megapixel camera that gave them no grain at 6400 ISO when they're taking pictures of their kids mm-hmm. because they're not printing these anymore. I mean, I think this, this is right. the one thing we're getting to is people are not printing and they're not – the average person with a point and shoot is putting up on Flickr. They're putting them up on desktop patterns. They're putting them up on yeah. you know, all these things. You know, it's all wasted space for most of these people. And, and 6 megapixels with uh, – as I said, that were perfectly clear at 6 6400 ISO, you know, people would be buying those like crazy. You know, and well, that's and, the market that Panasonic said they're going after with the Lumix Three. That's that yeah, that's exactly, you know, and that's why I'm looking at the Lumix rather right. than the new G10. You know, the Lumix has but, a but, larger sensor in it. But let's be honest, we are an anomaly. The the majority of people are responding to megapixel madness, or you can bet these marketing departments at these big camera companies wouldn't be doing this. They they they've 
they bought into this whole, I got to get the more megapixels. That's the first question I'm asked by rank amateurs, how many megapixels? And, you know, they wouldn't do it if it didn't work. The sad truth is it's the wrong way to go, but, the, you know, the consumers, they believe differently. But I think our that, job, our job as people who, you know, have a little show that a couple people listen to. We the media? Is to, <laughs> is to educate Well, yeah, we people. definitely need to educate them. I agree, Alex. But I'm just saying, I'm just saying this is why they're doing it because, they they know they they know they can sell cameras this way, which is why they come out with a new model every three weeks and give it some twenty six character name because you have no idea whether it's the same one before or not. Right. So who's buying the G ten? Well, right I'm going to get one just for the heck of it. <laughs> you know, it's was, only four hundred fifty bucks. I was let down with it. You know, I was looking at the specs and it looks great. You know, and I think it's an incremental improvement. But one of, like we were talking about just a few minutes ago, one of the things that I find that I use my G nine for a lot is doing those little videos. And it looks like they they actually cut the uh, ten twenty four by seven sixty eight mode from they the did. camera. Yeah. It's gone. You know. Yeah. So, and, and again, that's that's, that's, not- that's why. Yeah. Why, I mean, why would why would you buy a G10 rather than that Panasonic LX3? The LX3 will shoot HD video. It's got a a larger sensor, overall sensor. You know, less megapixels, but a larger sensor. It actually well, shoots higher ISO. I'll, I'll tell you why, based on historic historic uh, performance, Ron. The reason you would is that number one, the the Panasonic line of of point and shoots, they're high end even, are traditionally known for being very noisy and having significant shutter lag. And and mm-hmm. that's been the rub against their cameras. And unless they solve those problems, it doesn't matter if they have all those other features to me. Right. And you know, no way to tell, but just looking at specs. Yeah, we, we have to yeah, if we if we, we get, get one of those cameras if we get one of those cameras and it turns out that excuse me, that it performs up to snuff, instead of us being, you know, branded as G nine lovers, you'll probably hear us all starting to say, Get the Lumix. Right. Yep. You know, but it, it's it's it depends. I agree. I wish the the G10 would have been, you know, once again, like we've been saying, I wish they would have focused on better low noise performance. Looks like they did widen the lens a little bit. I'm not. Um, That's nice. Uh, yeah. That to give yeah, you a little more wide angle. To, uh, yeah, they went we to a 28 millimeter. Yeah, we don't know what the Digic 4 processor is like. If it lives up to their claims, maybe it will solve these problems with noise that we anticipate from adding more megapixels to the sensor. But uh, 14.7 megapixels would be pushing it, in my opinion, on a full-frame sensor, let alone something going into a point-and-shoot. I'm going to buy one just for the heck of it, but um, I'm not getting rid of my G9. If, uh, if, if it turns out that I like the G9 better, I'll just sell the G10 after I play with it. Yeah, I have to admit that I'm, I'm leaning more towards the Lumix right now. You know, with the you know, as I look at what I'm going to replace, I was waiting for a G10 to come out, and now that I've seen it, I'm not I'm not that excited. You know, I have to admit, I'm not I'm not that blown away. But we'll have to get them in. We'll have to do some tests. Uh, I'll buy the Lumix. Scott can buy the D- G10. We'll, we'll go head to head in the office. Perfect. Can I buy Whichever both? Whichever one that wins, you can I'll buy, buy both if you want. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Scott will buy both. Scott will buy all the cameras we've been talking about today, and then uh, and then well, we'll I just didn't want to be office. limited. You know, I didn't want to be limited. No, you, you can you can only buy. The, the Canon. You, you're committed. You're committed. There's, there's, there, there, you, you, it, it's gone too far. So. Now, once you've taken all these images, uh, the one thing that we want to uh, uh, remind people of here, of course, is that you need to put them somewhere. And uh, the place that I like to put my, my photos is on my Drobo. Yes. 
<laughs> that was a wonderful idea. Such an obvious <laughs> segue. You got to work on that segue thing, Alex. Come on. <laughs> I like to put on my Drobo. Of course, uh, Drobo is a sponsor of uh, of uh, of this week of photography, and we're very excited about that. I mean, Drobo uses a technology called thin provisioning, uh, which is a fancy name for technology that costs one hundred thousand dollars <laughs> in enterprise class storage solutions, otherwise known as uh, you feel droovy uh, when everything's safe uh, on there, and. Um, I'm almost done with my my, my little Drobo experiment, uh, which is having my Drobo fully functional at both the house and the office. It's taking me a long time. Too much travel. Don't you have like 15 of them, those things here in the I office? I have a couple. <laughs> <laughs> like a wall of Drobo. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're, we're using the Drobos as different ways of backing up like stuff that we need all the time. So now we I have the older one with the USB. Uh, the FireWire, of course, is a lot better. And... Uh, uh, but uh, for me, speed wasn't as important as just having a good, safe place to keep, like, for instance, all of our reference images that we use for example files and everything else. So organize a Drobo, a four terabyte Drobo of that. Uh, as in what I'm organizing is basically all my movies, all my music, all my uh, personal files all into a Drobo at, at the house and at the office. And then are syncing them together so that they, you know, redundant. Um, they're redundant. I have some redundancy and I have redundancy for the redundancy. So since you're, since you're marinating in Drobo goodness, what's the, uh, what's the best drives to uh, populate these things with? Well, the great thing about Drobo is you don't need to have certain drives and they don't all need to match. So that's, you know, usually when you're putting together a RAID system that, that you know, you need them all to be the same manufacturer, same make, same mm-hmm. everything to make sure that they're they set up. They certainly have to be the same size if it's a RAID system. Right, right. And, and yeah. so, but I, I will admit that I kind of bite the, you know, bite the bullet and I'm just, I just get four uh, one terabyte drive Seagates, you know, which Got are the cheapest. The, the thing, the thing is, because you have some backup, because you're not worried about the, the you know, the dr- a drive failing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you get whatever you can get the cheapest. And uh, I think the Seagates are going for like $179 a piece. So drive like that. speed doesn't matter? They, no, not really. Well, especially with the ones that I have. I have the USB ones. Yeah. Um, uh, so the drive speed doesn't make any difference. Uh, to be honest, when you're running four drives, it's not going to make a big difference, you know, either way uh, going through there. So, so, um, uh, but with the FireWire one, it might make a little bit more of a difference. But I really, what I'm looking for is inexpensive storage that is also redundant. So, um, so for me, you know, just you know, you can go through the process of if you don't have the money to, to spend on terabyte drives, you can put the 500 gig ones now are like 80 bucks. <laughs> you know, I mean, wow. the Seagate 500s are like 80 bucks per drive, and so 80 or 90 dollars on Amazon. Uh, we have down the street they they come up on sale for 65 dollars, and. Uh, we all run over and buy them every time they do. And um, uh, I've seen one terabytes going for like one thirty online, though. Awesome. Good one terabyte. Yeah. So that so the price of the storage is going down. The main thing is that when you buy a cheap drive, the big thing that we're always worried about is you buy an inexpensive drive for one hundred thirty nine dollars for a terabyte. And the big thing you worry about, I mean, anything over five hundred megs, what what you're really doing is a lot of error correction. So there's a lot of error correction going on in the in the in the drive, and that and that worries me. You know, to have a drive with all the stuff that I have, a single drive, a single point of failure. And so being able to throw those into a Drobo where it's going to keep track of it all. And of course, there are other options. You could go out and build a RAID 5. I, I just don't want to work on it. I don't want to work that hard. <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you build a RAID 5, the thing to know is you'll have to buy all the same size drives. With Drobo, you can start with a 250, then add a 500, then add a couple right. of terabyte drives. And the thin provisioning thing, that's what we're talking about. It allows you to start small and add drives when your computer you know, looks at everything as a single pool of storage and it's different if you do a raid i mean i've set up raids and it's a lot more difficult with the drobos you just drop them in there and go i use the western digital green drives 
Fred, and, and they are 7,200 RPM drives. And on the Firewire version of the Drobo, they do make a difference. But they are more spendy. I like cheap ones. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm with Alex on the USB front, so I think I'm going to make a fries run and just get the cheapest ones I can. So with, with, well, that's with actually, four that's actually what Drobo. I'm sorry, go the, ahead, Scott. That's what actually Drobo does recommend doing. Just go get the cheapest thing you can get. Yeah. yeah. With, yeah. with the four one-terabyte drives? You'll end up with, with three terabytes of storage. That's three terabytes? Okay, mm-hmm. got it. Yeah, so. But remember my tip from a couple of weeks ago. It's important when you start out to format it for 16 terabytes. That way you can always keep on growing. It, I asked them actually what would happen if you didn't do that. And basically what you'd end up with is multiple drives you know, down the road. So you could theoretically move up to 16 gigs, but you just have more drives that Drobo is managing for you. You'd see more, more than one volume. If you always want it to be one volume, then you need to make sure to start it at the 16 terabytes, which will slow down your startup a little bit as it sorts stuff out there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but definitely don't start it like two. If you're putting 500 megs in, 500 meg drives, don't set your Drobo to two, two terabytes. Well, keep in mind, Seagate is, Seagate is going to be shipping pretty quickly the 1.5 terabyte drives. Right. The two terabyte drives first quarter, and we'll see four terabyte drives next summer. Isn't that awesome? So hmm. Just that's why awesome. you want to think about the 16 terabytes, because right. then when, when you run out of space on your current system, you can just drop a four terabyte drive in there next year, and everything will be fine. Yeah. So anyway, so if you uh, – now we have uh, – you can get $25 uh, dollars off a purchase of the, uh, uh, the USB Drobo or the second uh, generation, and that's at, at drobo.com slash twip. Is that right, Scott? So uh, you can get 25 extra dollars off, uh, already uh, a pretty inexpensive solution. So definitely uh, check that out. And uh, now we are diving into uh, listener questions. We have a listener uh, comment, actually, first. Uh, and this is from uh, Ryan Katsanis. And, uh, and he said that uh, we were asking, we were asking, we were asking, uh, we were asking for recommendations for movies. The BBC ran a six-part series called The Genius of Photography, and it's excellent. Um, so we definitely something to check out. I haven't seen it. I don't know if anyone here has seen it. But, I have not. Uh, but, uh, no, but it, was, it was a follow-up from last week's yeah. show where uh, you know, we had some questions for some recommendations on photography-related movies, and uh, this is a great call. I, I want to check it out. Yeah, so, so uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely going to check that out. Uh, also, we have a question here. This is um, from Katie, uh, and I guess Watson, I, I believe, is her uh, her last name. She's just, uh, hey, guys, I'm buying a friend's uh, Canon 40D plus uh, an 18 to 50 millimeter kit lens when he upgrades to the 50D later this year. Uh, for the last five years, I've been using an Olympus point-and-shoot, uh, the C770, and now I'm finally upgrading to a DSLR. I'm hoping that you can help me with the extras. What do you consider essential accessories, for example, spare battery, memory cards, uh, that I need ASAP? Uh, and, what bring, and, and what things uh, would you recommend I try and convince people to buy me for Christmas? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's great. <Nice. laughs> so, uh, so what, what That's are the fa- essential You know what? That's my officially favorite question of our entire history. <laughs> <laughs> what should people buy me for Christmas? No, this is a great, this is a great, great question. What, what do you got? Okay, let's go, let's go around the table here. Fred? What would you suggest as an essential accessory? A bag. Make sure good bag. Go get a good camera bag uh, when it's yeah. comfortable. It's going to contain the stuff that the rest of the guys are going to tell you to buy next. And I usually I, I like getting a bag that'll have a little bit of space in it. Um, uh, you know that that's going that you could carry around as your day pack. You know I you know some people just get a little camera bag that is just for their camera, and I find that that uh, doesn't serve me as well as a, as a good camera bag. Uh, I have a 
uh, I guess my new one is the Kata 467 or something. That holds my laptop. It has a little open space at the top. It has, you know, a camera in the bottom. Um, but it means I can go traveling and I have everything I need. I'm not carrying around a bunch of different bags. Right. Uh, Steve, what do you think? Um, well, I guess, um, yeah, a bag, of course, or maybe seven bags. Because <laughs> <laughs> one for each day of the week. <laughs> bags, exactly. Uh, but maybe, obviously, uh, a flash would be the next step. I mean, maybe uh, to be able to do some off-camera work with a flash, you can do all kinds of great things with supplementary light if you got one of those Canon-dedicated uh, flashes to go with it. Very yeah, good. flash with a cord, with an off with offshoot yeah, cord. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you, what do you say, Ron? Uh, well, the other obvious one is, is the tripod. Uh, you know, right. I, I don't. Clearly, some people don't use tripods that often, but they should. <laughs> and and as, as as we've said many times, don't get a cheap tripod because that's just you know throwing away money in anticipation of buying a good tripod a year later. Exactly. I've gotten some. I had a. I have to find it. I, I actually just broke it, but it was a, a Manfrotto. You know, it's, it, it was a very small tripod. It was mos- mostly designed to fit into my carry-on, and uh, I was surprised at how often I used it. I, I thought, oh, I'm just going to have this as a backup, and uh, and it really was something that was that, yeah, it's key. Um, I, st- I still have yet to find you know the ultimate travel tripod, but I'm hoping somebody comes up with one. Yeah, yeah, definitely, Scott. Well, you know, I'm sorry to say it, but I think, you know, you got to have aperture. <laughs> God, we almost made it through the show. Almost. <laughs> I think I think you got you know, you're going to be taking a lot more pictures. And for another 199 bucks, you know, you have a way to organize them and take care of them, and I realize there's somebody on this panel that may disagree with me, but it was my turn. So, uh I, my recommendation, and it's this a serious like one. I think you know. I I think aperture would be the way to go, but you know, you could download the other one, whatever it's called, and 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 uh, <laughs> the other, and, uh, the other, the other party. <laughs> and if you decide to go democratic I, and you want to try life, <laughs> I'm kidding, Scott. Yeah, I, I would suggest that she tries uh, download all the free. Uh, you know, trial versions and, and see which one fits the best. Yeah, the the um, uh, and of course, my suggestion would be a fifty millimeter fast lens. One point something. One point four. The 1. Alex 8. Lindsay flame to fame. You know, you, I just want to say that I I now I, you know we enough people listen to us that I run into enough people at different in different parts of the world that go you know I listen to it and I got, I got a fifty millimeter a fast fifty millimeter lens just like you said it the photos are so great. <laughs> You know, here's the sad thing. We're not getting paid by Canon or Nikon to sell these 50-millimeter lenses. That's sad. I think, I think I'm just going to start a website called 50-millimeter. It, just, it, just, it doesn't matter what kind of camera. Here's a 50-millimeter fast lens. Wait, yo, full fast 50. Full disclosure, I am paid by Adobe to say, you know, whatever you say. So I just want to put that out there. I do work for Adobe Systems, uh, even though they do make the best software on the planet. But, oh, um, <laughs> And more to come soon, right? And more so, to come soon on the twenty third. On the twenty third, very excited. We should, we, you know what? We should mention that. I mean, there's no way we could. It, it's it's is around you, the corner. Is that public? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't. I didn't. It's, it's public. Photoshop that we're going to make an announcement. We're going to announce CS4 on the twenty third. That's which we've now announced. I heard, the, you, I heard the features all leaked. Up. I don't know. I heard the features all leaked on Amazon. Oh yeah. yeah. Wait, don't you work at Amazon? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> Fair disclosure. Yeah, disclosure. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah. Google CS4 and uh, get, a, get a pretty good idea of stuff. And we'll, we'll talk more about that soon, next week. Pretty soon the whole first half of this show is going to have to be a disclosure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. 
<laughs> no, but seriously, Photoshop, is, com- Photoshop is coming out on, on the 23rd. That is a big deal in the photography world. There's no getting around that. That's a big deal. And we'll talk about the features next week. And if I get uh, a version that I can show, um, I'll, I'll do some video. I'm holding my thumbs up to okay. Alex. And just for clarification, it's not only Photoshop. It is the creative suite. No, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a, the word on the street is that it's a really big upgrade. So uh, yeah. that's what I've heard. I, I haven't seen anything, of course, but, uh, but I've heard that it's, uh, it's, it's very cool. So um, it's definitely worth checking proportions. out. So, yeah, so I can confirm that the street is not lying to you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think so. So, um, so anyway, I, I had a lot in conversation with the street. You know, and uh, and, it, and it seemed to think that it was a very good not Wall Street because they don't have really good advice right now. No, no, <laughs> I, I like to stay away from Wall Street. I like to stay in the street. So um, the, the, the street, street, the street, street, not the Wall Street, because um, it's a wall. You know, so uh, so anyway, so the uh, next question comes from Joe Pro. Prosita, I believe. I said, my wife is heading to Nairobi, Kenya uh, on, in November uh, for three weeks of work in local hospitals. And um, she's going on a little three-day safari. And on our limited budget, he said he bought a D60, which uses SD cards. And of course, this, this is the question that we get a lot. He said, I was wondering, what, what type of memory cards uh, do you guys trust? Uh, so you mentioned that you, you didn't have to upload uh, your cards when you were in Alaska. I guess that's directed to Scott. And um, and I was hoping to uh, set her up similar, similarly. Uh, how many cards total capacity did you take to Alaska? For example, if I wanted 16 gigs, is it better to get a 16 gig card or four four gig cards or eight two gig cards? Um, he says, no matter what I tell her, she's not, you know, he said, I, you know, you're going to start talking about dumping to a secondary device and no matter what I say or whatever I tell her, she's not going to do that. So that's not an option at this point. <laughs> so, um, so what do you guys, given that situation, given our, our environment here in this, in this specific one, uh, what would you suggest? Well, I, I think that you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. Um, mm-hmm. A six, if you have if sixteen gigs is your goal, I certainly wouldn't take one sixteen gig card. I would take maybe you know two eights or if you really want to save money, the two gig cards are very cheap. You carry a bunch of them. Uh, the answer is question. I took sixty four gigs to Alaska, thirty two gigs for redundancy and thirty two gigs for shooting. I did have one sixteen gig card. I'm testing uh, part of a long term test for Hoodman, but everything else was eight and two and. Um, you know, my recommendation is, you know, if you have a camera that supports it, and you do UDMA cards, and uh, you know, the more you spend, the safer you'll be. I definitely don't recommend getting cheap store brand cards to save money. And uh, in my recent test, I've been working a lot on the Hoodman stuff, and I find them to be, you know, pretty fast. I, it's you know, it's this trade-off we've discussed before of. If you are shooting multiple cards, then you run the risk of other things happening as you're pulling them in and out. I actually asked Bill Frakes this question, and he said, you know, he he's the kind of guy that prefers to just have one card so that he doesn't have to change them and drop one in the mud. But you know, it, it it's a tough call because if you only got one card in there, then if the camera gets stolen, you've lost everything. So or if it fails, if the card fail, I mean, it's yeah, just- exactly. Yeah, but you know, you know that Bill will definitely have more than one card. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, especially exactly. But his point was that he he preferred to minimize changing cards. And, yeah, and I have to say that I I had a card recently go bad. Now it was it was one that was already backed up. I put it back into my camera, and, it, and the camera couldn't see it. The computer could no longer see it. I don't know what it got near, but it um you know the the uh, and I was really glad 
uh, that uh, it was only a one, it was an old one gig card that, you know, that I guess had just been used one too many times. Was it just corrupt when you put it in the Yeah, it was just corrupt and I haven't been able to get it back, you know, haven't been able to get it back. And of course, you know, it's five years old or something like that. I just threw it away. But, but the, um, but I carry four two gig cards around and that's generally now the one thing I'll say about that is I almost never uh, touch the other three cards. So the three cards sit in my, in my, in my bag and um, I am. I know that your that your wife won't do this. I am every evening uh, minimum. Uh, I pull all the stuff off my off my card. Uh, I just I'm so afraid of losing yeah, great I, images totally on a trip. Yep. I mean, um, it, it, yep. it really does make sense not to put all your eggs in the basket. But I have to say that you know when I first transitioned into digital, I was a little wary of the cards. I didn't quite know exactly. It's new to me, but I've I've more and more put confidence in the cards. I mean, I'll, I'll use the Lexar cards. I've chosen to use those, but they're you know the the big names are good. But you know the idea of going from four to eight gigs sort of at first worried me, but now I, I feel quite confident because those cards, I mean, you know, they, they could corrupt, but they're they're really uh, dependable. They mm-hmm. really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I say that that's the first card that ever that's ever gone bad. The first CF card, anyway. Steve, what's your, what's your experience or what's your advice for frequency of just changing your cards out because they don't last forever? And should you like every six months, every year, toss the old ones and get new ones, or just wait till you <laughs> get to a point where you you lose data? You know, I think it's it's almost a naturally organic experience in that by the time my megapixelage goes up, chances are my two gig cards have been changed to four gigs. I would generally say it's been kind of a two year cycle for me, but but you know, it's not scientific. I mean, I don't know how long those cards. Uh, I I think they're rated to run for a lot longer than people will actually have them. You'll lose it before it, it'll go corrupt. I I would think. I just love the word megapixelage. Uh, I'm writing that down. Yeah, that, that was awesome. That, that we're gonna, that's going to be uh, that's going to be a word Twitters. that you heard that you heard uh, here first on Twitter. <laughs> megapixelage. So uh, I, I expect to see that in in uh, in Webster's uh, very 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 soon. So um, uh, we have come to the end of uh, the end of the road. Uh, for today only. Uh, the road will continue next week. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking more about Photokina. I'm sure that there'll be more things to talk about, more cameras released. And, of course, we will be covering um, uh, Adobe's big announcement on the 23rd. Uh, so we'll be, uh, those two things we'll be, um, uh, we'll be working on. Does anyone have a tip of the week? None. Insert cricket sound. Yeah, no. I had a tip. I had a tip. Uh, oh yeah, here's the tip. I just, I just, I just got what back kind of from both that? conventions. I was eating it. Okay. Are you guys still there? Yes. <laughs> Has the lens cap been put off? Alex is doing his shenanigans. No, I, I would just want to say that you know I came back from the conventions where I was photographing them, and uh, uh, there are no bad positions. And and I, I guess what I'm I, my tip of the week is you know if you're sort of hedging your bets about going to sort of a, a big event. Um, thinking that, you know what, I can't compete with the, the big shooters. I mean, as long as cameras are allowed in at that venue, you're going to get more inter- you're going to get interesting stuff regardless of where you are. You're just going to get a different view. Um, you can't necessarily compete with the guys with a big glass. I wasn't that kind of a shooter at these conventions. There were wire guys with 600s getting sort of the bread and butter shots. But wherever I was, I would have my own sort of unique angle. So um, I wouldn't sort of lament the fact that, you know, you're not a professional, you don't have the kind of professional access, because often wherever you are in these kinds of uh, festivities or events, uh, you can get really interesting different shots, so make the most of that situation. 
Is that a tip? Yeah, that's a tip. Fantastic. Yeah. Tip. We're going to we're going to prove that next week, Steve, when we're at uh, Schwabucker's Landing in Grand Teton National Park with four different amateurs. We'll take them there and everybody'll be standing at the same spot and I bet we'll get four different pictures. Can't wait. Can't wait. That's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, we are coming now very much uh, to the end here. And uh, Fred, where, where can people find you? They can find me, of course, at the place where I work, adobe.com slash Lightroom. Uh, or the, <laughs> that was for Scott. <laughs> that emphasis was for Mr. Bourne. Um, or they can head over to my blog, which is at frederickvan.com. Scott, where, where can people find you? Uh, on the Twitter at Scott Bourne, uh, my blog with all the references pointing there too at scottbourne.com. And then if you want to follow me on the Aperture Nature <laughs> Photography Workshops at f64.com. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Ron, where can people find you? Uh, just crack me down on Twitter. I haven't done anything new on my blog lately. So uh, Ron Brinkman at Twitter, B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N. Don't forget the second N. And Steve? Steve? Uh, Steve, actually, I'll mention digitaljournalist.org. Digitaljournalist.org. That's a place where I, I did all this convention coverage, so you can actually see the photos on that. And otherwise, stevesimonphoto.com. And you're still resisting the Twitters, huh? Uh, I'll get into the Twitters. Yeah, <laughs> he, is a, he is afraid of the internets. <laughs> He's been yeah. promising to do Twitter for 23 weeks, which is one <laughs> week less long than you've been promising to I do a know. video for, Fred. <laughs> Yeah. What, what? Where you guys find time for all this stuff? I don't understand. I- <laughs> so, um, so also, uh, I, I just want to uh, let people know this is not not as photography related, um, but uh, those of you listening, uh, there is going, there are touring around North America right now is Chiwanizo Marare, who is someone I take a lot of photos of when I'm in Africa, and uh, she is a great Mbira player. And she and uh, if you go to Chiwanizo.com, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, it's uh, definitely. Uh, take your camera. Uh, you get some great concert photos. Uh, it'll be smaller venues. She only comes about every uh, three to five years, and uh, definitely worthwhile. Anyway, this mess that you've been listening to is this week in photography. You can put that lens cap right back on. <laughs>